Most things in life are amoral, meaning that they're not good or bad, they're just things. What makes them good or bad is how they're used. For instance, fire. Fire is great in a fire pit, but it's horrible on your curtains in your living room. We probably both agree with that, that it's not necessarily fire is bad uh, because we need it. Like fire is in your engine. You have a combustible engine, probably unless you have an electric car, but I don't know if they have combustion or not. But anyway, it's not the fire that's the problem. It's how it's used that's the problem. Uh, a pinch of salt uh, in a spaghetti sauce is awesome. A pinch of salt in my right eye is unbelievably painful. A can of gas is great in my garage next to the lawnmower, but a can of gas under the seat of the dude next to me in the airplane is bad. Uh, a hammer is great on a nail, but is not necessarily awesome on my thumb. Uh, and there are a lot of other things in like broader categories, more significant things are not necessarily good or bad. Sex is not necessarily good or bad. It's the context in which it occurs that determines its morality. Uh, fame is the same way. Influence is the same way. Power is the same way, and so is money. Each of these things are a gift that can be leveraged for good or misused badly. Um, I like what my dad says. He says, everything you own is either a tool or an idol. It's something that you're willing to leverage for God and his kingdom purposes in the world, or it's something that you won't leverage to God for God because you place too much value on it. Um, and we're talking about leveraging our lives to leave more than just memories in this series on legacy. We want to live, and my dad's going to love that I'm quoting him twice in this weekend's teaching. This is the second quote from my dad. And that is that we want to live our lives so as to fling our shadow across eternity. Um, man, he says that an awful lot. He wants to live his life so as to fling his shadow across eternity. And this is going to require that we see everything that we own, every opportunity we face, every struggle we encounter as a gift to be leveraged for the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom in the world. Uh, we spent a lot of time this past year talking about uh, how to leverage the way that we live our lives. And today I want to uh, give you a self-test to evaluate whether or not you are being mastered by your money or whether your money is mastering you. The Bible has a lot to say about money and only a little bit of it is bad. Uh, most of it is actually good because money, like everything else, is amoral. It in and of itself is not good or evil. It's what we do with it or what it does to us that determines the morality of money. In the Bible, there are warnings to be sure, um, but there's also encouragements like Deuteronomy uh, tells us, I believe it's Deuteronomy chapter eight, that says that God is the one that gives us the ability to create wealth. Ecclesiastes says that godly people leave an inheritance for their children and their children's children. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse 10 says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, God is the one who provides and increases your resources and then produces a great harvest of generosity in you. So God's intention is to give to you so that you will leverage what is given to you to be a generous person. 
I think most of us would like to consider ourselves generous, but truthfully, the measure of our generosity is in what we do with our stuff and our money. But there's a very famous warning that comes with with money. You don't even have to be religious to have heard of this. Uh, but First Timothy chapter six, verse nine and ten is where it's found. It says, "But people who long to be rich fall into temptation. Uh, the pursuit of becoming rich leads you to fall into temptation and a trap." It says, "And are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction." Verse ten says, "For the love of of money." is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. There's a principle here. And the principle is this, that there's nothing wrong with having wealth as long as your wealth doesn't have you. Matthew chapter six, verse 24, Jesus said, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, no one can serve two masters You're going to hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Like you have to choose which one gets the greater priority in your life because the truth is you're going to use one of them to serve the other, period. They're in opposite sides of the faith teeter-totter. Uh, and I did look this up. I, I used the word seesaw. Uh, so I just used the word teeter-totter now because that's how I, I grew up using it. And then most of the people here in New England use the word seesaw. They mean the same thing. Uh, but I, I did look it up. Teeter-totter, first time it's used in print is in 1905, but a seesaw was used in print in the early 1700s. So I'm going to stick with seesaw. But you know what a seesaw is? It's, it's the bar with the fulcrum in the middle. Look at that big word, fulcrum, right? And you put one person on the other side and then they just go, they'll go back and forth. And in the passion of my life, I'm, God is on one side and, and money really is on the other side. And Jesus says, you, you can't serve them both. Like you're going to have to choose which one has the greater priority in your life. And you will use one to get the other, or you will use one in service to the other. So what I wanted to do with the rest of our time is I'm going to give you three questions for reflection so that you can determine whether or not you have your money or if your money has you. And the first question is this, do I have enough money right now? Answer the question, do I have enough money right now? And the obvious answer to that question is no, (laughs) because I'm I'm not rich and every single one of us want more. We and, and I if you say you don't want more, I think you're probably lying. I mean, I don't know, maybe you're not, but you'd be the exception uh to the to the rest of us because all of us would love to have a little bit more because none of us consider ourselves to be rich. But if you make $30,000 a year, did you know that you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world? Like, that's insane. If you make $80,000 a year, you're in the top 0.01% of the wealthiest people in the entire world. Financially, most of the people on this planet would love to trade financial positions with you. Paul teaches us that the godly learn to be content uh, with whatever financial situation that they are in. He says, whether I have a lot or I have a little, I've learned to trust God with it. And in trusting God with what I have right now in the moment, I've learned to find peace and contentment there. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings happiness. No one ever has enough. And the danger of money is that it has the ability to buy us all of our other idols, all of the other things that we want. Truthfully, more than we want God. Like it, it is the one, it occupies the biggest part of, of our heart. And it's the number one thing that competes for God's attention in our, in our life. Um, because it offers us what God intends us to get only from Him. And that's security and happiness. Truthfully, like if you can think back to a time in your life where you didn't have much money, you probably prayed a whole lot more to God to provide and take care of you than you do now that you have a lot more of it. That's the idea is that money gives you a false sense of security. It makes us less dependent on God. And we think that it's going to make us happier. Um, Jim Carrey said this famously. I don't know how long he said this, but you can look it up on YouTube and you'll find it just like I did. But he said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Tom Brady said something similar after winning his third Super Bowl ring. He was being interviewed on 60 Minutes and he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream. But me, I think, God, it's there's got to be more than just this. There's a... Um, Line, oh my gosh, this is the third time in a row I'm bringing up my dad. My dad's favorite movie is Fiddler on the Roof. And the main character is uh, a guy named Tavia, who is the father of four daughters. And he's complaining about his poverty. And he references uh, the biblical teaching that there is a curse that comes with wealth, right? Like Solomon says uh, that with great wealth increases, you know, what comes great, great sorrow, great anxiety. Having money doesn't, doesn't increase or decrease your, your stress and anxiety because now you have more to worry about. And so Tavia says in the movie, he says, he says, uh, dear God, if being rich is a curse, then may you strike me with it and may I never recover. It's one of my, my, my favorite lines in there. So we'll, we'll hear Jim Carrey say like, yeah, I've got all the money I want. I can buy anything I want. And I'm still not like, it didn't, it didn't make me happy. And Tom Brady say the same thing. And it's just always one more, one more dollar. Somebody asked Rockefeller that, uh, how, how much money do you need? And he, and he said famously one more dollar. Like, and so we know what everybody who has money says. But all of us are like Tavi. We said, I, I just want to test that theory out ourselves. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18, 11 says, The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Here's the question. What if your money wasn't protecting you from risk, but simply keeping, keeping you from the promptings of God's Holy Spirit? What if that's what money was doing? What if money wasn't protecting me, but it was keeping me from becoming the person God intended me to be? Now, I don't, I don't think it's money itself that does this. It's the way we view our money. It's what we 
are trying to get from it that I think can become the obstacle to what God is trying to do in our life. Maybe the best indicator to see whether or not I've allowed my money to become my master is whether or not I find it difficult to give God. And that's the second question. One is, do you have enough money right now? Uh, Paul says you have everything that you have right now that God intends you to have, and you should be faithful with what you have. The next question is, do uh, do I find it difficult to give to God? Most people would say, and this has been my experience um, in conversations with people about money, that if I had more money, then I would become uh, generous. Then I would be more faithful with what I have. But the scripture says uh, that if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. I had somebody tell me this past week that if they won the lottery, they, they, they were we were talking about all the stuff that Grace Church uh, does through our Hope Project, uh, which we're going to be rolling out in a couple of weeks. But all of the good that we're doing with the money that we as a church family give, uh, both stateside here and and internationally, and uh, talked about somebody who had given a large amount to fully fund um, an orphanage, and uh, this friend of mine said. Oh man, I would, I would love to be rich enough uh, to 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 give like that, and and I know because of previous conversations with this friend that uh, man, I, I feel bad saying this, but you don't know who the friend is, but that they they're waiting, and they're they they don't put God first with their resources because of fear, um, and the idea that they have in their head is that if I if I was rich, then I would be a generous person. But Jesus said, actually, money just expands the person that you already are. So if you're a generous person with little, you'll be a generous person with much. If you're if you're not a generous person with little, then you're not going to be a generous person if you were given more, either. In fact, multiple multiple studies show that the more money somebody makes the smaller of a percentage of their money they actually give away. If you love money more than what money can be used for, then letting go of it is always going to be difficult. And I'm thinking that if you could flip a switch and get more excited about what your money can do in the hands of God than in the hands of Bank of America, uh, then giving can become exciting. Jesus um, actually, it was Mark that told the story about uh, Jesus and a conversation that he had had with his disciples after the offering time at the local temple. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched the crowds dropped in their money as they came into temple. Many rich people put in large amounts of money. Then a poor widow came in and dropped in two small coins, and that's all she had. I wonder if she saw how much everybody else was giving in front of her, and I wonder what she felt about what she was giving. And and I I, I don't I don't know. Um, there's a true story. It really happened. Jesus was watching people bring in large offerings to give to God through the local temple, and then he did see a widow give in two small coins. And then he calls his disciples over to himself, and then he has a private conversation. Um. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, the poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. And if the disciples were watching what they had given, I wonder if that was a confusing statement for Jesus to make. That Jesus had said that the woman had given more than what everybody else had given. 
And then he defines or he explains why he had said that. He said, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, or they gave from their leftovers. They paid everybody else everything that was owed them and put God last. And even though their wealth, the margin that they had left over was significant, it was the priority, it was the place that God had been put in their finances that stood out to Jesus and the percentage or the portion in which they had decided to trust God. Because he said they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now, he's not lying. Obviously, he's telling the truth. If that widow was your mom or your aunt, and she told you she was going to give the last two coins she had to God, what would your advice have been to her? Like, would you have encouraged her to do that? Or would you have said, no, like, don't get, like, this is all you have. God would want you to keep this. But I think this woman, this older, I don't know if she's old or not, but she's a widow. She's all on her own. And it's her last two coins. She knew something that those of us with money forget. And that is that everything that we have comes from God. And he is in control of making sure that we have everything that we need to keep going. Yeah. So that's why she was able to give. In one way, she gave less than everyone else, but in a bigger way, she gave more than everyone else. And based on what she gave, I think we can all agree that her faith wasn't in her money, but in God. And I'm wondering what our giving says about our trust in God. First Timothy chapter six, verse 17 and 18 says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, tell who, by the way, those who are rich in this world, who is rich in this world? It's, bro, it's you and it's me. If your household income is more than $30,000, we're in the top 1% of wealthiest people in the world. This is us he's talking to. Tell them, tell us to use our money to do good, that we should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Who is rich in this world? You and me. Where should we not put our trust? In money. Where should my trust be? In God. Who gives me all that I need to enjoy? God. So use what God has given me to do good beyond myself. I'm going to give you a scary prayer. What if you were to begin praying? And I think you should. I was challenged to pray this prayer a long time ago. Dear God, bless me to the degree that I am willing to be a blessing to you and to others. That, that would be a scary prayer. Bless me to the degree that I will be faithful and obedient with what you give me. <laughs> Maybe that's actually what's happening. And I'm going to go to the last, the last question is this. So number one, do you have enough money? Two, is it difficult for you to give to God? And three, is there money in your bank but no peace in your heart? Money can solve a ton of problems. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it can solve transportation problems. It can solve food problems. 
It can solve, I'm not going to give a list. You know all the problems that your money can solve, but money can't fix your relationship with your parents. Money can't make you a good dad or a good mom. Money can't reconcile you to your past. Money can't heal a broken relationship or mend your broken heart. Money can't give you purpose or meaning, and it doesn't take away stress. Money is a shallow substitute for the things that you can only get from following after God. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 6 says, Better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. That's true. I'd rather have a little bit with peace and contentment and a close relationship and confidence in God than have a lot without those things. Proverbs 23, verse 4, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Proverbs 22, 1, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held high uh, in esteem is better than having silver or gold. Proverbs 21, 26, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. I love this prayer at the end of Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 30. The last chapter is 31, so this is the second of the last chapter. But in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 and 9, this is the prayer that Solomon makes. He says, Oh God, I beg two favors of you. This is another good prayer. Let me uh, have them before I die. First, help me to never tell a lie. Second, and this is the part that relates to today's teaching. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? Who needs God? I'm all set. And if I am too poor, I may steal and insult God's holy name. That's a good prayer, isn't it? God, let me, let me not be destitute, but let me not make so much money that I'm no longer dependent on you either. So for all of us who are here in the middle, this is a great place for us to be. Because the truth is, you do have enough right now to put God first in your finances, to invest in God's kingdom purposes in the world, to legal legacy that lives beyond you. You can leave more than just memories, and truthfully, you can begin to cast, to fling your shadow across eternity. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need right now for living a godly life. So start living godly. Don't live to earn. Earn to give. Don't let what you make determine who you were made to be. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and God will give you everything you need. Do you believe that you have enough right now to be faithful to God right now? Whether the answer is yes or no, I know what the answer ought to be. You have exactly what God intends you to have right now. The question isn't what you would do if you would have more. The question is, what are you doing with what you already have? More will only increase what you're already doing. 
If you find it difficult to give what you have, then what you have may be more of an idol in your heart than you thought. And there's a possibility that you are not the master of your money, but your money has become the master of you. Money is a great tool to be leveraged for the glory of God and the good of others, but it is a horrible purpose for which to live and will always leave you hungry for more. So what am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to give to God first your actual money. This isn't about me or Grace Church. I have a salary that's determined by our board of trustees, and I'm going to make my salary whether you give or not. But whether you give or not determines whether or not God has all of you. My wife and I give so that we get to be the masters of our finances, so that our finances are not the master of us. I give so that it doesn't control me. I give because I'm trying to invest in the kingdom of God. I give because God has already been good to me. And these resources, like the more, like on the other side of our giving are changed lives because we as a church family give to God generously. There are churches that are being started in India and Nepal because of us, like more churches than would be started if we weren't. On the other side of our giving really are malnourished kids in Guatemala and Burma that are fed a healthy, balanced meal every single day. There are missionaries that are being sponsored, churches that are started, orphanages built, needs met because of us. This is one of the most generous churches I personally have ever been a part of in my entire life. And I think God blesses us as a church because we're so willing to be a blessing to others. And I think, I think the same thing is true in my own life, and I think the same thing is true in yours. On the other side of our giving is a ton of changed lives, and one of those lives that I think that God intends to change is yours, is your life. I think we're conduits. I think I'm a tool in the hand of God, and I think that everything that God puts in my hands, every opportunity, every dollar, every person that he puts in my life, I'm going to be held accountable for. And I want to hear God say at the end, Sean, you did every amazing thing I ever dreamed for you to do, and you accomplished everything I ever planned for you to do. I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Kid, you freaking rocked it. I don't know if God will say freaking or not, but I hope he does when I step through the pearly gates, right? I wanted to say you did everything I dreamed for you to do. I want that, and I don't want to miss any bit of it, and I bet you probably don't either. Let's pray. God, I love you with all of my heart, and I'm thankful for the generosity of this church. I'm thankful that, uh, for the most part, like, for real, we recognize that everything that we have is a tool or it is an idol. And so we hold everything with, with a loose grip so that we can follow every prompting of your Holy Spirit. If you speak into our lives to do something, we want to say yes immediately 100% of the time. When it comes to our finances, it gets a little bit difficult for us because this is the number one thing that com competes with the priority that you should have in our hearts. I'm just asking your Holy Spirit to soften our hearts. That's it. 
help us to evaluate the direction of our lives and the way that we see our stuff. Help us to recognize that we have right now all that you intend us to have to be faithful. Um, God, I pray that we're faithful with what we have, that we would be generous, that you would come before every other thing that we give to or pay off every single week, that you would be the number one priority in our lives. Uh, God, take our resources and, to con- and continue doing good with them. Um, I am thankful for the Hope Project and the way that we get to invest in so many places around the world and do so much good. I ask for all of our missionaries, all of our church planters, all of our pastors and other churches that we've sponsored. I pray that you would supply all of their needs, give them what they need to do everything you've called them to do, and let more people find and follow you, Jesus. This is our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen.